0: have heard the argument before, right? Are our problems hereditary, or are we the products of our environment, nature, or nurture? Well, the Bible offers a pretty profound answer with what's wrong with us. So if you recall in the beginning of our series in Genesis, it takes us back to the day of perfection, where everything was just perfect. The environment was perfect. Our Heredity was perfect, perfect nature, perfect nurture, perfect everything. But then sin entered the human race, which resulted in misery, chaos, brokenness, destruction, anything bad you could possibly think of. And so how did mankind come to this? How do we explain the problems or where the problems come from? And so we read here in Genesis chapter 3, the problem is that man sins. So turn to the neighbor and say, I know what your problem is, it's sin. It's sin. Now here at Shining Star, we... Identify Genesis as history, not a myth, not a legend, not something fabricated, but it's actual historical account. So, whatever your views are of the creation of the earth, whatever it might be, if you reject this account and if you consider it as fiction, then you will have no choice but to throw out the entire Bible. Really. You have to throw out the entire Bible, including the accounts of Jesus Christ himself. God clearly says that Adam and Eve were the first man and first woman, which means that because of their sin, it has been passed down onto us all. You and I, we are tainted with the sins of Adam and Eve. And so the text today will speak on temptation. Everyone say temptation. Now I know this is something we all deal with because we all deal with it. There was a woman who was shopping, and she bought a very expensive dress that she knew she couldn't afford. So she takes it home, and and her husband says, Why'd you do it? And she says, I just couldn't help it. The devil tempted me. And he says, Well, honey, why didn't you say, Get behind me, Satan? And she says, I did. But then he just looked over my shoulder and whispered, You look amazing from the back. (laughs) Look, ever since Adam and Eve fell into Satan's temptation, the entire human race was plunged into sin. Since then, every, every person who's ever had any breath struggled with temptation. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm struggling. Becoming a Christian, brothers and sisters, will not eliminate dangers of temptation. So don't freak out whenever you guys come to faith, or maybe you come back from a revival after Sunday service and you're amped up spiritually. <laughs> And then the very next moment, you begin to receive an onslaught of distractions, of temptations, everything creeping up, these new sins, these old sins creeping up, even the sin of unbelief creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. Christian or not, there is within us all a strong desire for the forbidden fruit, isn't there? You know, just the other day, my daughter came back from Korean school, and they gave her candy, which I really don't care about that. But she ate some on the way back home in the car. She was eating some, I think it was like nerds or something like that. So she was eating that, and then there were some gobstoppers in there as well, and all this stuff. And so I thought, you know what? She had some, and then when she when we came home, I'll take it away from her because that's enough candy for the rest of the day. So I placed the candy on top of the kitchen counter, and there I went. There I was, just trying to heat up the pot for some tea, and I see in my peripheral vision her little arm. Okay, first of all, the counter is kind of high, so she actually stood up on our dog's food container. And I see her, I'm, I'm boiling the water, and I see her from my side vision, her little arm slowly, yet very intentionally, making its way towards the candy that I just set on the counter. And here's the worst part. It wasn't just like her going for it. She was looking at me. <laughs> she was watching out for me. So I turn around. I said, Ada. And she quickly recoils her arm back, and I said, what did Daddy say? And she says, No more candy. And she starts whimpering. And I go, before, you know, I I have a soft spot, obviously. I was going to be like, just take it, just eat it. But then, as she's whimpering, she immediately says, but just a red one, okay? (laughs) Let me ask you this. Is God the most important person in your life? Is he? Is he the one who gave you life? Is he the one who gave you eternal life? The one who gives you purpose in this life? In other words, do you want to please God? Amen? Do you want to please the one who saved you and loved you and called you his own? Then we must understand how temptation works so that we can learn to resist it, but that, so that we can also obey the one who loves us. God, I love you so much. I just want to please you. I love you so much. I just want to obey you. I love you so much that I will do anything for you. Now, temptation itself is not a sin. But temptation calls us to action by an enemy who hopes to lure you into sin. Think of it this way. Temptation is the very first piece of the domino. So from today's text, we learn of Satan's strategy. And quite frankly, it's a pattern of temptation that he used on Eve and Adam that he still uses on us today. So let's get into this by recognizing what this pattern is. Right? And so that we won't be ignorant of Satan's schemes and we can ultimately and hopefully by the grace of God resist them too. Amen. Amen. Now I know that this passage raises a lot of questions. You probably read through it. You probably have heard of it. You probably have read it before, especially regarding Satan and his origin. People also love talking about the serpent too. I remember my professor talked about the serpent for like, I don't know, like two class days. It was a lo- there was a lot coming with this. And they also, a lot of people ask, what kind of creature was he before God cursed him later in that chapter? Another question was, if he, talked to, if he was talking to Adam and Eve, why weren't they surprised that a talking snake was there? And if they weren't surprised, then did that mean other animals could talk too? And does that mean C.S. Lewis had a right in the Narnia? Oh my goodness, can my dog talk to me? Anyways, I'm kidding. But there are legitimate questions that arise like, where did evil come from? Where did it originate? And why did God allow it to appear in his creation? And I want you all to know that those are important questions. They are. And I would love to sit down and talk with you and to somehow fully satisfy all your curiosities, but there's a time and place for that. But today, we're not going to go into all that. Today, we're going to enter into the reality of what Scripture is making the main point to be, and that is the danger of Satan. The danger of Satan. The master of deceit. His temptations and evil desire is bent and focused on one thing. is that destruction of God's creation and destruction of our fellowship with him. So get this. Before anyone becomes a Christian, they were an enemy of God. And Satan is an enemy of God too. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Meaning prior to your conversion, you were on Satan's side and yes, you may have dealt with the everyday pains of the world, but he never tempted you beyond general temptations. But here's, the, here's what happens. The moment that you accept Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he focuses on you. It's no longer just general temptations. He goes, no, I'm going I'm to go for the legs. I'm going to make sure that you never get to walk with him again. I'm going to make sure that you are maimed beyond recognition. I want to make sure that your fellowship is so fragmented that you'll never want him or that God will never want you. So here's how temptation works. In James chapter 1, verses 14-15, we're led astray by our own lusts. But before the fall, there wasn't any lust per se. So Satan had to directly approach Eve. But now that we're post-fall, Satan leaves us to our own inward corruptions, our own inward lusts, which responds to the temptations of the world. And yes, occasionally there are direct satanic attacks, and I have personally witnessed it too. But this is what we need to know. Satan was behind the original temptation. So I'm going to go through a few points here, okay? Listen to me. My first point is that Satan is crafty and deceptive and he uses half-truths. Satan is crafty and he's deceptive and he uses half-truths. In John chapter 8, we're told that Satan lies because in him are no truth and he speaks out of his own character. He can't not lie. He is pathological. All he can say is just lies and lies and deception. Well, when did Satan attack? It was when Eve was alone. Now, a lot of people will look at the verse where it says that he, being Adam, was with her. This doesn't mean that he was present at the moment of her temptation, but that he was present when she shared or offered the fruit to him. Now, think about it. She was alone. When does temptation hit you the hardest? Right now? No, you're all holy right now. You're all godly. What happens when you are alone, when you're away from home, let's say? You say, who will know? What harm will it do? Remember when Joseph, when he was approached by Potiphar's wife, she said, lie with me. Have sex with me because none of the men of the house was there in the house. We keep thinking, who will know? Yeah, your friend, your Pastor, your spouse, your parents may not know. In fact, they may never know, but God will. God will know. Our sin isn't just a sin against our spouses or each other. We need to understand Satan's temptation isn't just to break our fellowship with one another. Like, that's child's play. That's not what he's concerned about. His main objective, he can care less what happens between you and me. He cares more about what happens between he and I. He wants our sins to affect our vertical relationship with the Lord. There's a reason why as a church we're constantly in your lives. Has anyone here, and you don't have to raise your hand because you would all raise your hands. Have you guys ever been annoyed by us? Have you ever been annoyed by any of the staff here? Annoyed by, you know, I remember um, this is more of an affirmation towards Jesse, but I remember when uh, the youth kids, when they graduated and they gave a gift to Jesse or something like that, And they were just so blessed by him at that moment. But before then, it's so funny, they gave him a card saying, Jesse, you were the most annoying person ever. But now I realize, (laughs) but now I realize that you loved me and that you cared for me. There's a reason why we as a church, as life group members, as life group leaders, as pastoral staff, as members of this church, why we're always constantly up in your grill. Not because we're trying to be annoying. Honestly, what's easier? Isn't it easier just to like leave you guys alone? Just be like, "You're a problem." Guys, let me tell you, I was a I was a patrol when I was in fifth grade. I thought that it would that would yield like the ultimate power, but I became so unpopular in my bus. So so why, why are you laughing? so wildly unpopular. I would—I don't know how many demerits I gave and warnings. I'll constantly say, sit down, get over there, be quiet, warning, warning, warning. And I was honestly trying to do my job. I was trying to keep peace. I mean, the bus driver loved me. He's like, you're my best friend. I'm like, that's kind of sad. For the sake of accountability, us getting your faces, brothers and sisters, this is why we're saying it's not good to be alone. It's not good to ride solo. That's why life groups are so important. That's why discipleship and weekly accountability, if not daily even, from those you love and trust, it is so integral to your spiritual growth. Amen? So be with one another. Confront each other with the sins that plague your lives and allow for transparency. Amen? Amen? All right, my second point is that Satan challenges the authority of God's word. He challenges the authority of God's word. Now, Satan didn't flat out say, listen, God is wrong. No, he planted a lie, a suggestion in the form of a question. Is it really true that God said you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? In other words, Satan is saying, okay, Eve, now hold on for a second. Let's discuss what you just heard. Let's discuss what God had said. I mean, there can't be any harm in discussing it and getting other opinions, right? What happened there? Whenever we question God's word, we're essentially saying that God's word is subject to our own interpretation and our judgment. Does that make sense? Now, Eve, she first defends God by correcting Satan's extreme statement, but then she does add something to it by saying that that she was forbidden to touch it. So it makes it seem like that she was making God's command even more strict. But then Satan counters by reinterpreting God's reason for his command. You will not surely die. This is what God says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open to you. I'm sorry, this is what Satan says. That God, uh, knowing good and evil, that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we have Satan smuggling in another assumption. That we don't need to obey God, get this, unless we can understand his reason unless we can understand his reason behind his command. Look, brothers and sisters, how many times have we thrown away God's command just because we didn't get it? Huh? Because we didn't understand why. Because it didn't seem to make any sense to us. You know, in Africa, there was a young boy playing outside. He played underneath a tree that he would always play. And one day, as he was playing, he hears his father yell from the, from the uh, home, Stop! And so the boy stops. Then he hears the father yell, drop! The boy drops to the ground. Then he hears the father yell, crawl toward me! So the boy, he starts crawling, army crawling towards his father. And as the boy gets closer, the father quickly grabs up his son and turns the boy to see what was hanging on that tree limb right above where he was playing. It was a deadly king cobra. Now, just imagine, that boy didn't understand what was going on when his father said, stop, drop, and come towards me. What if the boy questions his father when the father says, stop, and and here's the snake, and the boy's like, why? (laughs) Huh? That makes no sense. I don't want to. I want to keep playing. Is God ever asking you to do something? Sometimes you just don't understand why. Let me ask you this. Who is asking you? God. That's enough. Furthermore, why does Satan appear to Eve first? Why did he appear to Eve first and not Adam? Some people and pastors I've heard talk about that women are, they are just emotionally much more vulnerable. They are the weaker sex, which is why Satan spoke to the woman first. I don't buy it have you met some of our sisters here i don't buy it here's 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 why satan doesn't care about you he's not trying to undermine you his goal in life is to undermine god Satan going to eve first was aimed to underscore his opposition to god's authority god made male then female God appointed Adam to be the head. But what the saying, though, is that he attempts to flip upside down the entire divine order of creation. He undermines God by undermining Adam by approaching Eve first. Look, the real reason why liberal Christianity in this world is just running rampant and this nation and all that, and what ultimately breeds is things like prosperity, gospel, and things like that, because there is no longer a stand for the word of God as the authority of our lives. There's no respect for the authority of God. And that's Satan's tactic. He wants you to question God's command. He wants you to question the authority of God's word. Come on, you can't certainly believe that all that outdated stuff about the headship of the husband, do you? Surely you don't believe that marriage is about man and woman, Right? I mean, sure, all these things worked for them back then, but this is 21st century. Culture changes, and so then must God's word change with it. These are all myths and legends. Just pick and choose what you believe are to be good for you, good principles, good guidelines, and then use it for yourself to become a better person. After all, what's wrong with becoming a better you? But this whole God as creator, this whole thing God is loving you and, and God's son, Jesus dying for you, that's all hogwash. All unnecessary, antiquated mythological storytellers that are simply parables to fill in the gaps of what was unknown at that time. And so what do we do as people? We start buying into that. Yeah. I mean, I don't see God. I see myself. I don't see his presence. I see you. I'll just live by my own rules. I'll be the master of my own life. You know what? I'll just look out for myself. I don't need anyone telling me what's right or what's wrong. And that's Satan's line, people. He tempts us by being deceptive and by challenging the very bedrock of our faith, the authority of God's word. My third point is that Satan attempts to ruin and question God's character. You guys want to know what's really interesting here in this Hebrew? Is that because throughout Satan's dialogue with Eve... Right? We just read it and we're like, whatever. But Satan in Hebrew here refers to God as Elohim, which means God like we know. But specifically, it means the powerful one or creator God. We're like, that's awesome. Satan is recognizing the power and the omnipotence of our God. No. He's saying Elohim. He's telling Eve he is Elohim. Satan is avoiding the more covenantal name that God gave people to use, and that is Yahweh. So, get this: I had just come back from the village church. You know my, my dear friend Matt Chandler. We had him guest speak here not too long ago. Well, he asked me to not guest speak, but to pay and visit him. And um, <clears throat> so, I, so we went there, and we it was wonderful. And on Thursday night, we got back, but the next day, on Friday, I had to uh, drive down to UVA for their GCF uh, JMU conference to speak there. Right? Uh, invited by Pastor IJ. It was an amazing blessing. Thank you so much for praying for me. Anyway, so I was gone pretty much this entire week. And I'll be honest, I desperately missed my family. And so finally yesterday, I had my full, first full day with my, with my parents, with my family, right? And I was just happy to be home. And so in the bathroom, I hear Grace talking to Ada about our names, and then Grace says, what's my name? Ada says, Grace. I'm like, oh, okay, she learned um, her mom's name. And then Grace says, what's daddy's name? And she goes, "Mm, David. Now, I laugh because it was cute and it was funny, but let, let me be honest, a little part of me died. A little part of me died. My little girl, the apple of my eye, called me David. I don't know about you, but it just felt really weird. It just felt really weird. Those of you who are parents, maybe you guys are really progressive, I don't know, but it feels like when your child says, David, let me tell you this, God is not only God, but he's our father. The Pharisees hated it when Jesus referred to God as Abba, because it implied the deepest of intimacies. Satan wants to make God as distant to you as possible. So he'll do what he can to remove the intimacy of your relationship with him, but also the intimacy of your knowledge of who he is. That he's just some God who made us. That he's just some God who, poof, created us and left us high and dry, that he doesn't hear our prayers, that he doesn't even want our prayers. He, doesn't, he certainly doesn't answer our prayers. He doesn't speak to us through his word. He doesn't care about the pain that I've gone through, the suffering of my life. He just doesn't care. So yeah, maybe I can't really understand what's happening in the beginning, so I'll concede that he is God, creator of the universe, but he certainly doesn't care about my world, about my life, about my pains. He's just Elohim. In Satan. He uses these exaggerations to make God seem harsh. God had not said that Adam and Eve could not eat from any tree. He said he can only eat, not eat from one tree. God said they could freely eat from any and every tree, but one. But why? But the way Satan says it sounds like God was prohibiting everything. He's exaggerating. Satan again is trying to impugn on God's character by making Eve focus on what she couldn't eat rather than all the things that she could eat. And that's what Satan does. He makes us focus on the negative. Have you guys ever wondered that? Constantly on the negatives. Aren't we, so isn't it so easy to be bitter and negative? I mean, let me tell you, we've heard this before, right? You can remember nine negative things about a person, but it's hard to remember that one good thing. And so we keep thinking of the pain rather than perhaps the spiritual refinement that's happened, that God is putting us through. Satan he wants us to focus on the hopelessness, on the brokenness rather than the healing aspect and grace of God. Satan wants us to focus on the what-ifs rather than the beauty of what's now. So here we have Eve drawn into the into Satan's line of thinking. Because now her response really magnifies the strictness of God, but also softens weirdly the judgment of. Of God for disobeying. Remember, God said, From any of the tree of the garden you may eat freely, but then Eve reproduces God's command. And she weirdly omits the words, any, surely. And then she adds the words, or touch it. God also says, you may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But again, Eve, when she's talking, having this conversation with the serpent, with Satan, she omits the word surely, like as if she doesn't really believe that the judgment will happen to her at any time. She's falling into Satan's trap by changing the character of God to suit herself to fit more to her liking. Eve was already wavering. Her legs were already shaken. Now the fall had already taken place even before she bit into that whatever fruit it was. Why? The moment that she thought that God was wrong. Thinking that God made a mistake. That was the moment the fall happened. When she sinfully disobeyed in here. Let me tell you, God's character is tied into everything God is and everything God does. There is no inconsistency with our Lord. But the moment we question his goodness, his faithfulness, his love for you, his promise, then we might as well throw the baby out with the bathwater because we'll be open to every attack from the enemy. Let me tell you something here. If someone were to come up to me and say, Pastor David, I heard Jesse or Joe did this or did that reprehensible act, I would say, did you see it? Did you witness it? Were you at the receiving end of it? If not, you're wrong. They would say, no, 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 but I heard from someone. And I would say, I've known those guys since they were 12 and 13 years old. I've done life with them. I've seen them mad. I've seen when they were happy. I know what ticks them off and I know what brings them joy. I know what their favorite food is. I know know what they hate. I know what their weaknesses are and I know what their strengths are. I know their moods. I know their hearts. You've got the wrong guys because that's not who they are. So I don't care about your rumors. I don't care about what you've heard through the grapevine. You don't know who they are, but I do. Let me tell you something. We have to be that sure with God, but more so, and we can be. Because Satan will challenge and question your view and understanding of God all the time. When you feel abandoned and hopeless, like life has totally rejected you. You're, maybe your significant other abandoned you. Maybe your child is totally being rebellious. Maybe your job totally imploded and they kicked you out. And everything is just gone. You're thinking, where am I? Who am I? And you feel abandoned and hopeless. Satan's going to say, I told you. I told you. God doesn't care about you. I told you that you need to figure things out for yourself. You need to protect yourself. You need to save yourself. Forget about God. Forget about the church. They're not going to come help you. They're, all they're going to do is just pray for you. No, they will do nothing for you. It's just you against everyone else in this world. You see, you got nothing else but you. Guess what? That's when we say, get behind me. You have no idea who my God is. And we can quote all the passages we want, and I'll say in Isaiah 49, 15, the Lord says, Can a woman forget nursing her child or have no compassion for the son who has come from her womb? Even they may forget, but I will never forget you. What do we do when we are challenged like that? In the face of all these satanic lies and deceptions, we must speak the truth of God. That's how we survive. My fourth point is that Satan always tries to contradict God's judgment. You shall not die, Eve. This is the first judgment, by the way, that God places upon us, and it's the first doctrine, the first teaching that Satan actually rejects or denies. God is saying, look, I'm telling you, don't, don't, eat from that, don't eat from that tree. It's serious. You will die. You will be separated from me. You will live in torment. You will leave an everlasting impact upon you and all of creation. You will surely and certainly and ultimately die. But what does Satan say? He says, sin isn't that serious. Come on. Everyone does it. Everyone can get away with it. And now here's the irony and confusion of Satan's remarks to Eve, because at one point, get this, Satan questions God's goodness, right? That if God is really totally good, and that if he's truly generous and loving, then why would he prohibit us from eating from all any of the trees? But now Satan implies that God is too good. That God is too good to punish her with such a minor infraction as eating a, a benign piece of fruit. Let the punishment fit the crime. Saying says, "Abiding fruit surely cannot warrant capital punishment." Come on, God is too good. So what's the big deal about eating the fruit? Was God overreacting? By the way, don't fixate on the fruit. It's not a magical fruit. It wasn't anything but a fruit. Here's the problem: it was unbelief. It was rebellion. It was disobedience. It was pride. God had given them all that they needed. He has shown them again and again and again how good he is and how loving he is. And they had every reason to trust and live for him in peace and obedience, and yet they still sin. You see, Satan says in verse 5, you'll be like God. Remember I said Satan is the master of lies and deception. He's also the master of half-truths. Now saying he doesn't elaborate much on what he just said about you'll be like God except that there'll know good and evil. This statement was a combination of truth and falsehood because the thing promised was true. but At the same time, it was far from the truth. Now what do I mean by that? Think about it this way. It's like the freedom sin promises to us every day. It's true in that we feel empowered and maybe even momentarily liberated, but it's ultimately false and it will enslave us. Satan didn't bother to tell Eve the horrible consequences. He didn't bother to tell Eve the horrible ramifications of her disobedience, of the consequences for her, her family, her entire lineage, the entire human race. Satan will never tell you what will happen down the road. I'm lactose intolerant. It's a shame because dairy products are my jam. But the issue is I am... I'm in love with haagen and I think you know that by now, hint, hint. So I'll go and get some, and as I'm waiting in line, looking up at the beautifully photographed image of midnight cookies and cream with whipped cream and fudge, how am I ever going to lose weight, right? Anyways, so <clears throat> as I'm placing my order, my mind is saying, you're going to pay for it. I mean, obviously, I'm going to pay for it, but I'm going to pay for it, you know? But then I look at the ice cream, and I receive it, and all I can see is the sweet, savory, just splendor of the world's greatest ice cream. Let's be honest, it is the world's greatest ice cream. And I'm just thinking, I can't wait to eat this, and I'm eating it right now, even before I pay for it, and it's just amazing, and it's freeing, and I forget about all of life's worries. I forget about all the issues of what's going on in my community. I forget about everything else, and I'm just in total bliss. But then an hour later, my stomach begins to bubble and bloat, and I'll stop right there. <laughs> Temptation is always like the allure of a new car. It's new, it's shiny, and you can see yourself driving with top-down in and, and the convertible, and it's amazing. But then you've really kind of failed to realize, remember, the car payments, the insurance, the maintenance, the fact that maybe it's a gas guzzler. Satan will always display the attractiveness of the product to lure Eve to her doom and and to us. That's why we read in verse 6, it says that she saw that the tree was good for food. Maybe this was Satan's sales pitch. Eve, look. It's not poisonous. It's not harmful. It's actually quite nutritious, and it tastes good. And that's the thing about temptations. Here's why it's truth and lies, because it will seem to us at that moment when you are being tempted, when that sin is in front of you, that at that moment you believe in yourself, and you believe in that product or in that person or in that sin, whatever it might be, that it will legitimately meet your need, maybe food, sex, comfort, but it will somehow legitimately meet your need at that time. But that's where the truth stops. So what were the results? Well, she ate it. She did not physically die on the spot, and her eyes were open just like Satan said they would. Huh. Was God wrong? Of course we know what happened. She did die that moment. She died spiritually. Physical death began to set its course in her that very day. The sin of disobedience led to guilt and shame, says in verse 7, and this led to alienation from one another. Remember what, what happened? They said, no, no, no. Adam started blaming Eve. Eve started blaming the serpent. The serpent started blaming, like, who, what? Alienation from one another, but also alienation from God. This became the beginning of a series of sins and tragedy because their first son murdered his own brother. People were killing, raping, pillaging, living in complete darkness and rebellion. People think, get this, that to get, that to, if you go away from God and you pursue after personal experience, self-discovery, you pursue after reason, after science or rationale whatever, all that is a pathway to wisdom. It is not. It is not a pathway to wisdom. Wisdom comes from fearing God and obeying him. So what happens now? We need to be wise when it comes to new teachings or new doctrines, which means that we need to constantly, constantly, daily affirm the authority of God. Not just on Sundays when you hear me spew it out to you, but every, every day may you just envelop yourself with the word of the Lord and say, this is true. You know, the conversations I have with non-believers typically end this way. I say, so what's your authority? They say it's them or society or it's their parents who raised them. But that's all subjective because it changes from one person to another, from one family to another, from one nation to another. I can't personally bank my life on something that is inconsistent and self-contradictory. I need a higher authority than the word of man. I need the word of God. But we also need to affirm God's character, and the only way to do that is by knowing what he is, who he is, through his word. Satan will do everything he can to malign and twist your view of who God is, but like you know your spouse, like you know your child, like you know your siblings or your parents or your best friend, you can say to Satan, that's not who my God is. I'll tell you who he is, and like Joseph told his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God, he meant it for good. How in the world, in the midst of all that suffering and trial and tribulation, can Joseph of Egypt say something like that? Because he knew who God was, and he knew that God was sovereign over anything and everything of his life. Look, if you're defeated by temptation and sin, let me say this, God in his mercy has provided the way of deliverance. Say Hallelujah. Ever since sin entered the world, we were limited. We could do good, but would not be good enough. We could be good, but would not be good enough. How amazing, get this, that even in the midst of God's judgment upon Adam and Eve, can you imagine for a second that God in his love created Adam and Eve and loved them and lavished upon them and says, Be with me, obey me, and you will experience the fullest of life with me. And they rebelled and they disobeyed. Can you imagine the heartbreak? Because you imagine the fellowship that was so perfect and united and amazing and glorious was completely fragmented and fractured and God had to make judgment and place judgment and condemn Adam and Eve and yet, get this, he was still so in love that in the midst of his judgment upon Adam and Eve that he was still so madly and romantically and divinely in love with his children that he made a way of grace. That he made a way of grace and mercy through the promise of a Savior. Let me say this, brothers and sisters, and this is what I'm going to end with. Satan does not care about you, but he does care about what happens between you and God. And he wants to hurt God as much as possible. So what happens when we sin? It brings guilt and it brings shame. And let me tell you, guilt and shame are so powerful that even a beloved child, from it will keep them from approaching their parent and still worse, guilt and shame are so powerful that it makes the beloved child question the love of the parent. The worst thing, anything my children could ever say to me as our father is not, I hate you. I can hear that a million times and I will still not hurt them or hate them. They can say, I hate you. No, the worst thing that they could possibly ever say to me is this you don't love me dad you don't love me and that's what guilt and shame does guilt and shame says god you don't love me your love is not big enough your love is not good enough to bring me to you guilt and shame keeps us, keeps us from coming to god for forgiveness It keeps us from experiencing the fullness of his love, and worst of all, it makes us question his love for us that he displayed those 2,000 years ago where we say up on that cross, it was not good enough. Brothers and sisters, we will be tempted. The promise of the Lord is that he has given us the power to overcome and be victorious in Christ Jesus. A life of holiness and godliness is what we ought to pursue, but that does not mean we will live a perfect life. But it does mean that in your weakness, that you are constantly going to the strength of God, that you are constantly asking God to replenish you and for, your, for the Spirit of God to empower you. And this is a daily taking. Every single day you have to go before the Lord, but most importantly, when we do slip and when we do fall, which will happen? That the guilt and shame won't keep you from coming to him. It won't keep you coming. Every single day, if you sin, brothers and sisters, go. Go to the Father. Go before his throne of grace and say, Lord, I am sorry. for I have sinned against you, against heaven and earth, and Lord, would you receive me? And God says, yes, because I love you and because of my son, Jesus Christ. You see, it's not by our merit. It's not that we have to somehow... Build ourselves up to receive His grace, He says, it's already upon you because of my Son Jesus. I pray against guilt and shame. I pray that it would not ruin your lives, that it would not rule your lives, but instead, you allow the grace and mercy of God to cover over you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve your mercy or grace. In fact, God, we're not even worthy to gather the crumbs from under your table. But I thank you that you have redeemed us by the blood of your lamb. And so therefore, it is in his name that we can approach you and approach the throne of grace and strength and trust, Lord, that you will be the one to keep us from falling. And it is by your power that you help us to live and walk in a way that is holy and good. Lord, we know that as soon as the service ends, the moment we get out and leave through these double doors, that sin is crouching right at that exit. And it's seeking to devour us. It's seeking to completely deny and just nullify everything that we've heard today. But Lord, we do believe that greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. You have given us the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the many temptations that come our way. So I pray practically right now that you would give us insight and wisdom and discernment to recognize the temptations that are knocking at my door. Instead of just allowing it to kind of stew in our minds and our hearts of should we or shouldn't we, God, that you would help us to immediately victory and that can only come through you Jesus. I pray for a daily just submission and surrendering and, and relinquishing of our might, of our pride, of our egos, of everything good and bad to you. So beyond just simply recognizing temptation and resisting it, I simply pray that you would help us to grow in grace in your grace and grow in knowledge of you as we seek out to carry your will for our lives. So we thank you so much that we're not alone in this and that you have called us, your saints, you have called us to persevere, you have called us to run the race, to fight the good fight, and that you, Jesus Christ, will be with us to the ends of the earth. and sisters, can I give you just a moment before we go into our last song to repent and to give up whatever it is, that temptation that has been banging at your door saying, let me in, let me in. And that you would give it up to God. That you would know who he is. That he is God. And sure, maybe Satan is trying to question your allegiance or question God's character. Stand firm in his word. Maybe right now God is telling you, hey, you don't know enough about me. Maybe right now it's a call for you to really start digging into who he is. Whatever it might be, openly, candidly, just ask the Lord, God, this is where I'm at, and this is where I want to be. I want to be with you. Okay, Let's take a moment and pray.